you know, statuary in Paris has been destroyed by the bombs. And so they just have these heads and, and torsos and, and broken sort of cultural icons that are stored um, on the shelves. And, and one of the, you don't really see the sculptures per se, but one of the lumps of rock or marble has the word uh, tete apotre on it, which is, or the phrase tete apotre on it, which um, translates roughly as head of the apostle or head of the saint. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. We are finally back with a new episode, 169, with the returning Benjamin Gardner. So very excited to have him on. And again, I think the discussion is very fitting for the end of the year. We talk a little bit about reflection of artwork and new directions moving forward. So maybe you'll make a new set of goals, uh, a resolution, if you will. So please stay tuned for this conversation. I think it's very fitting. Again, if you are new to the podcast, somehow this is your first time checking it out, please check out all the podcasts on Studio Break. Again, 169 episodes. Each of the posts have images of the artist's work as well as links to their websites and these lengthy interviews that discuss their studio practice, strategies, research, and all sorts of good stuff. So please check them out. Please share them. Of course, you can do that any number of different ways. The easiest way to keep track of Studio Break, of course, is to like our Facebook page. So please do that, and please uh, share your comments and feedback there. You can also do that at Tumblr, that's studio-break.tumblr. And then last but not least, probably the best way to get a hold of anything Studio Break related is to send your tweets to at Studio Break on Twitter. And with our short announcements out of the way, we are ready to get to the interview with Ben, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Studio Break. Benjamin Gardner, how are you? Thanks. Hey, Dave. Uh, I'm great. Thanks for having me. And it's nice to have you on talking to me from the studio. Uh, And again, we're going to talk all about the studio. It's somehow been like four years, I guess, almost uh, since you've been on here. So hard to long. Yeah. Well, so I guess we'll dive right into it. Again, we've got a whole bunch of work on your website, so obviously people should go check out BenjaminAGardner.com to, to see work. And again, there's there's tons of stuff on there. I was just talking. I don't know how you managed to kind of uh, uh, jump around and, and back and forth, so that's certainly one of the things that I want to talk to you about. Yeah. Since we had you last on, again, you were at the time doing a lot of uh, sculptural and kind of painting-based work. And um, how do you feel like in terms of your current work, um, I guess, where you're at and, and, and what you're doing? Yeah, I think that the um, previous times we've talked about sculpture and painting, um, I, I think that they kind of existed as two different bodies of work for me. Mm-hmm. And they still are to a certain extent, but I think I'm showing them together or exhibiting them together in a more purposeful way now. And maybe like relying less on um, painting on objects to be the link between the 3D work and the flat paintings. Mm-hmm. And I think that the images are more complex in some ways too, where they're making like they're doing something different spatially. I hope, I think, and hope, I think what I'm trying to say is that there's more layers of 
uh, relationship between the sculptural work and the paintings, but just not in visual ways, or not always in like sort of sort of overt visual ways. Yeah, well, and again, I I know that there's always like a certain like uh, poetry or poetics in terms of the way that you think about your work and maybe even describe it or write about it. Is is that something that's also kind of um, important, in especially this most recent series, um, uh, the ones uh, the Lesser Saint series, especially the, mm-hmm. that I'm kind of curious about. Is that is that mm-hmm. kind of like what you're talking about in terms of like the way that you're organizing these things? Is just much more of a tie-in or relationship? They're like family, if you will. Like before I would take, I would make something that was three dimensional and, and then kind of paint it as if it was a painting. Mm -hmm. Um, and instead of doing that now, I think that I'm letting like the three dimensional shapes sort of be, try to function like some of the forms that are in the paintings Mm -hmm. on a sort of formal level, um, but intellectually, I think that there are, or conceptually, I think definitely there's a link between, I mean, I see them all sort of as a single body of work, like the lesser saints are all sort of loosely figurative heads. And I think a lot of the sculptures now, even if they're smaller, significantly smaller, um, I think that they're still sort of figurative or, or object-like in a, in a similar way. So I'm not saying that all the sculptures are heads or portraits necessarily, Mm -hmm. but they sort of serve um, a a similar purpose. Well, and it's interesting to hear you kind of describe that idea of like, not just painting a sculpture, you know, because there's, there's a materiality with the sculptures and there's also like a real materiality, you know, with the paintings, but Mm -hmm. it seems like in that sense, you're kind of allowing them to, to be what they are. Yeah. You know, yes, in a very, very silly so. way to say that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I think you're right. And I, it, this reminds me of a conversation I had. I, I really, this is going to sound bad, but I, I, uh, I'm not the best at inviting people into my studio. Like I don't, I kind of see it as a private space. And so I don't, uh, actively like look for people to bring in my studio, but there was kind of a persistent guy that wanted to get in my studio. And he was talking to me about how he liked, my sculptures because they were like a kid, a kid did them, mm-hmm. um, which I understand where he's coming from. And I know, I know why he's saying that, but what, what was interesting to me is that like the way that I approach the sculptures and the paintings is so much in line with one another mm-hmm. that it never occurred to me that somebody wouldn't think, wouldn't say the same thing about my paintings. No, it's actually very interesting to think about. Yeah. So I, and I don't know if it's because like painting has this privilege that that like crudely made wood sculptures don't have, mm-hmm. or if it's like the that he sees like some sort of sophistication in in the paintings that's not in the sculpture. I don't know. It's just kind of an interesting thing for me to think about. Well, and I don't know. It strikes me again, like in, in terms of like the, the paintings, certainly they kind of like look, you know, playful in terms of, you know, just that they're very colorful. They kind of incorporate all these layers and variations. Mm-hmm. I would imagine they're not like a, you know, they're probably a struggle to get through too, though, you know? So, I mean, yes. like the idea of kind of thinking about work in that manner, um, I don't know, it's, it's maybe a little off, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, yeah. but what, I don't know, what is the, the relationship in terms of like working through them? Um, I would imagine that you kind of have both of them like within that studio space. Is there ever like a 
a conversation between these two pieces or, or like a handful of pieces that might kind of start to inform how you might, you know, edit them or add to them? They're actually for the most part separate in the sense that, uh, we moved a year ago in June and my new studio is in the attic of, um, our new house, my Mm -hmm. painting studios in the attic, which is also a library. And I'll, um, send images too, so I can, so that there can be some visual evidence of this. So I, I paint, I primarily paint up in the attic, which formerly was a library. And, um, I do woodworking in the basement cause that's where my shop's set up. Um, so they're, they're, they're made relatively separately. The lesser saints and a few other sort of bodies of work were at, a show in Fairfield, Iowa. And they, um, since then I've been bringing sculptures up to the painting studio more and more. Mm-hmm. So they're, so just in the last few months, I would even say I'm making work. Like I'm working on a piece right now for a faculty exhibition here at Drake. Um, that is a sculpture. It's actually two sculptures sort of stacked on top of one another that will be directly in front of, a a large painting. And so I've got the sculptures here. I have to move them out of the way so I can work on the painting, you know, and I kind of like kind of play the, play the game musical chairs, I guess, of moving everything to see how it looks together and then moving it apart so I can work on the pieces independently. So that's a fair, fairly new approach for me. Well, and I'm kind of curious, um, are, are the sculptures kind of like singular in terms of the way that you approach them? Because I would imagine in terms of your painting, you might have like a bunch of them going at the same time. But again, yes. I, I might be making all sorts of assumptions. So you could maybe kind of address both of those uh, ideas, yeah. you know, just how the how the process works for both. Yeah, you're you're right. Um, I I do work in series on some sculptures, um, but I... I find that they're more divergent generally than the painting series I work on. So, and, and usually it's no more, I mean, I think like probably three or four sculptures have some sort of structural form that is similar to one another at most, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But a series of paintings, I might, I mean, it probably depends largely on how many canvases I have of that side, you know, but they're, of that size, but they're, they're usually about, you know, anywhere from 20 to 50 paintings in a series that I'll work on. And are these some, something that you might like develop over, you know, the course of months or are there like some that get kind of like resolved super quickly? Usually I would say months. I mean, I think I get, I, I start to work on things pretty quickly, but I, I don't know what it is. I, I think I have less, big chunks of time in the studio these days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so they're the, I've really slowed down in terms of the tweaking, the fine tweaking. And I know no one would believe me, or I think very few people would believe me when I say this, but um, I've been trying to think about putting less on the canvas <laughs> I mean, I think the work visually to everyone looks very full and Mm -hmm. active, Um, but it's, I, I'm actually kind of editing myself a little bit more these days 
um, than people would probably think. I guess I'm just curious from like a, like a standpoint of like where you start one of these paintings, like, (laughs) is it like a word? Is it like something that's written? Is it just all kind of worked through paint or is it drawn and then painted or like, how is it like, how is it developed? So almost everything from this year has sort of a similar origin content wise, which I can talk about. Um, but practically usually it starts with some sort of like loose formal sketch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, and the, and the lesser saints or, or the other paintings from this year that reference faces or portraits are all sort of based on a, initial sort of sketch and I sketch is the wrong word, but I I just have to like, I sort of intuitively and impulsively make my first marks on the canvas. Typically they've been lately, they've been sort of a head like shape, which I build off of, mm-hmm. but it's, but it's a very loose crudely painted basis or structure for the painting that then I sort of, uh, manipulate and and work from to develop the rest of the painting. And is that something that like typically changes from, I don't know, I, like I'm especially interested in thinking about how artists kind of go through these transitions, especially like if you're in the place where you make like a bunch of new work, it's, yeah. it's kind of like been exhibited, you're kind of mm-hmm. ready to move on and you kind of don't know where to kind of move to. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, is, is it, how does that work in terms of like, is there other life experiences or is it like literally just something that just comes from just the, the routine of, of working and, you know, being um, observant about what you're doing and, and just slowly kind of changing direction. I think for me, it's usually based in content. And and what I mean by that, I guess is um, these transitions change a lot depending on what I'm reading Mm-hmm. And what I'm watching and what I'm listening to, I think that I think it's always been sort of some sort of external influence that has that has given me an idea to transition into something else. But then I find that usually over time, it's kind of just a different facet of some of the things that I was addressing in different work. I think that makes sense. You know, again, it it seems like if we're just kind of like essentially like walking computers, you know, compiling and, you know, taking in observations and stimuli. um, Yeah. Yeah. That those things kind of like hang around and, you know, like are kind of like waiting to be developed in some way, too. Yeah. And I'm curious because like one of the other things that I kind of noticed, too, in terms of like materials, um, I've never used flash paint. Mm-hmm. So I'm just kind of curious, like in terms of that process, um, is that something that you're you're conscious of in terms of like building or layering? And and again, maybe not to to spill all your secrets, but I'm especially curious because I'm sure there might be some uh, uh, young young painter out there or someone that just might be interested. Because um, again, I think materials uh, become so much of an extension of uh, the, the person, you know. Yeah. So I um, and I think I'm not the only painter that thinks about things this way, but I have always, you know, if people ask, I tell them I paint with acrylics, but if if people ask you like what kind of painter you are, you know, they want you to say like landscape painter or something. They don't, Mm -hmm. they don't really care or know that much about paint, but I've, I'm really interested and invested in materials and I really love talking about them and thinking and, 
discovering new materials. So I, uh, I've used like in the past in grad school, I used milk paint a lot, mm-hmm. um, which is traditionally for furniture makers. Um, but I worked and I worked at a woodworking store in Bloomington that had milk paint. So I would, I would buy it at work and come home and mess around with it. And it's a water-based paint, you know, it's water soluble. It cleans up with water. Flash is another sort of water-based paint. If we're addressing the whole breadth of non-oil paint, if that makes sense. But it has a really sort of matte um, and distinct finish, I would say, when it dries. Because essentially it's liquid vinyl is what it is. And is that something where you're kind of like layering with like maybe traditional acrylic paint over the top of that? Or is it purely like flash paint? Or um, I'm layering it with acrylic and it's I tend to use Gera acrylic paints along with golden and and Utrecht paints. So I'm layering the flash in there, but and and mainly for me it's it's colors that I can't necessarily get with the other acrylics that I'm using. So it's not it's not just the hue, but also how the hue is affected by the finish of the paint. If that makes sense. Say so, so like a pale blue flash is a different color than a pale blue acrylic. Well, I was just going to say visually too, like there, like there seems to be so much like texture. Um, yeah. I don't know again, if that's all like in the material, but certainly like even in just the way that, you know, it's painted and layered. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that kind of be, would be kind of something that's important too, in, in terms of um, having areas that are going to be maybe smoother or softer or washed versus, you know, really thick and textured. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I just to correct or add to what I was saying before is that truly that's not like in terms of color theory that's not correct and I'm I'm aware that like a, a pale blue is a pale blue no matter what the finish is but physically when you're in the presence of a painting I think that they can read very differently. Oh sure. And I and I think you're exactly right. Like the the flash, um, you know the flash flash paints dry out a lot quicker they're in these like glass jars and they, they get thick and sticky really quick. Um, so they, they hold brush strokes in a different way. And it's very easy with Gara paint to get really thin and translucent, but rich pigment paints on the, you know, uh, areas on the painting. So it's, it's kind of just something that I've added to my arsenal is, um, a water-based, permanent paint uh, that that I think kind of supplements the other acrylics that I use well, or uh, that I, uh, it supplements the other acrylics. Well, I'm not saying I use acrylics. Well, because <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't know if that's true, but yeah, I don't know if I use oil paints. Well, you know, it's just, I'm I'm curious though. It, uh, do you use like a golden like textured mediums? And I know there's like a like everything under the sun. They've got like concrete mixes and asphalt, and like they have every kind of conceivable things. Do you use a lot of mediums or no? I don't. No, That's I, so funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I and Gara has the same thing. So Gara is uh, they have a bunch of different mediums, but they also have um, additives. So it's even sort of different than golden in the sense that you're kind of making it yourself. So you can get like 
they have six different sizes of ceramic balls that you can put in your acrylic paint. Um, they have, you know what I mean? It's just kind of a, you, you can buy a, a, a pint of, what did I buy? Um, garnet. Mm-hmm. So crushed garnet, you know, hmm. lava, you can buy crushed lava from Gera. So I've, I've played around with, a, with them a little bit. Um, and I've, Gera, you can also buy uh, interface. Like you can buy a jar of interface. Mm-hmm. And ground mica, and I've and I've played around with those a little bit, and I and I've shown them to students, but I, I always get a little hesitant about showing them to students because I feel like that can go like if you give students a, a bunch of glitter, like that can go bad really quickly. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, but I, but I I think they're fun to play around with. I just haven't I haven't found the correct. Uh, the correct place for him yet. Yes, I, I feel like such a jerk saying this, but I feel like that's for someone else. I don't know. Yes. You know, like I'm, yeah. I'm really like really dumb when it comes to just wanting to push like the pure pursuit of like one material and like almost how I can manipulate it or, or just a handful, yeah. you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Because I, th- I don't know. And again, I think that's something that seems apparent in both the paintings and the sculptures is that hand, you know, that... Um, I don't know that you're very much in tune with like how you're putting these, these things together as opposed to like, you know, making them, I don't know, 3d printed and meticulous or, you know, like it Mm -hmm. has to have that kind of handmade character. Yeah. Yeah. So I think one thing that's interesting, again, as, as I was kind of talking about, you know, looking over, we've got years and years of work to look through. Um, and you're talking about, you know, being driven from a, a conceptual standpoint to kind of change from body to body. Um, so, yeah, again, maybe kind of break down even more specifically, like how, how that works in, in this kind of most recent series. So um, I started, I think, sort of considering some of these things at the end of last year, uh, knowing that I had a sabbatical coming up and wanting to kind of give myself some parameters and something to research and, and think about. Um, so I don't, I don't know if it was maybe like October or November of last year that I started uh, at least starting thinking about the series. Um, but it's based in Chris Marker's film, La Jete. Mm-hmm which is a 30-minute film that I've been interested in for quite a while now. Um, I think I first saw it when I was an undergrad in probably like 1998 or 99. But there's a, it's, a, it's a time-traveling film to say, uh, to kind of give some sense. And, and one, one segment of time is pre-nuclear disaster in Paris, and the second set of time is post Mm-hmm. Uh, nuclear disaster and the um one of the scenes that have always kind of stuck with me is that when you first start to see um the scenes post nuclear attack um everybody's living underground and there's racks of broken statues in the tunnels where they're living now so they you know statuary in paris has been destroyed by the bombs and so they just have these heads and and torsos and and broken sort of cultural icons that are stored um, on the shelves. And and one of the you don't really see the sculptures per se, but one of the lumps of rock or marble has the word uh, "tetapotre" on it, which is or the phrase "tetapotre" on it, which 
um, translates roughly as head of the apostle or head of the saint. Mm-hmm. Um, so I um, started thinking about this and working with this idea in the sense of cultural and political paradigm shifts and thinking about what happens when someone takes power and has to eradicate the culture uh, that ruled before somehow, or at least um, I don't want to, I want to say sublimate, but I don't think that's the right word. I think they, they have to sort of tame it down or make it their own somehow. Um, so I started making these paintings of these these portraits or sort of loose portraits, thinking about them as sort of the heads of saints or apostles, as sort of destroyed icons or culturally irrelevant statues and icons mm-hmm. in a sort of very abstract and loose sense, like the idea of painting and its validity, the idea of the opacity of the art market, even in some ways Mm -hmm. thinking about these things that are, that are within the system that I'm, that I also find myself located in um, that I can't really control. And I have no, I have no part of, but thinking about those as like, like the idea of the art market, something that I read about all the time, but I'm not really like, I don't have a huge stake in, right? Like I'm not selling paintings on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And thinking about that as like, that it could just disappear, right? It's, it's very like, it's very ephemeral, I think in the, in the long run, like it's, it's been around and it will probably be around, but, the idea that like, it's not, it's not sustainable. It's not, uh, it's, it has a huge amount of wealth involved in it and is very unregulated all kind of make me feel like it's going to crash and burn it sometimes. And some people, you know, would say that it already did crash, you know, in the, in the late eighties and early nineties. So I don't know, I'm kind of getting off topic a little bit, but I just saw this like, image or archetype even of uh, a crumbled statue that's just stored in a tunnel underground as like how I, how I think about um, visual art in some ways. Like I, like I, I want to be positive, but I, uh, (laughs) but I, but I think that there's a lot of, a lot of things that, that would would and could prevent people from making art, you know? Yeah. And I, well, I think that idea of history is always really interesting and fascinating to me. And again, we were kind of talking about earlier, you know, just in terms of getting older, kind of prioritizing um, our time and and our energies and, you know, thinking about, you know, something like the art market and, you know, there's like this gamesmanship or showmanship in terms of, you know, participating in that and pursuing that. But um, yeah, I don't know, on the bleak side of it, I always think that these things are going to be, you know, I mean, any both of our paintings, I mean, you bury it for 100 years, I don't think anybody's yeah. going to want to hang that up on a wall. No. <laughs> you know, so you just imagine an asteroid taking us out or something like that, and not to make it sound like that it's so fleeting, but I mean, in, in a way it is. 
Yeah. But it also struck me something that you were talking about, because um, the, the the movie that you referenced, is, this is the movie that um, 12 Monkeys is based off of, no? Correct, yep. And then okay. there's a... I think MTV is making a 12 Monkeys series or something now, too. You know, that's actually, it's on Hulu, by the way. Just uh, just to let you know, this is a, uh, we're kind of, I wish I could get a Hulu sponsorship eventually. <laughs> we can always keep our fingers crossed, um, yeah. but it's it's always weird to know that somebody actually does listen to this somehow. Um, yes. But the, yeah. the, the thing that was interesting, that you know, listening to you talk about that, that, that I just thought of, um, during, um, I want to say the French Revolution, and I... I I bring this up because my, you know, I went to Paris uh, this summer uh, on a honeymoon, and our, our tour guide is super, super knowledgeable about the histories of uh, the Notre Dame. And one of the things that he was talking about was during the French Revolution, um, all of these, uh, these, you know, kings essentially that kind of line it were all beheaded. Um, yeah. And so they're under like like a, a construction, or, or you know, like they were, you know essentially commissioned to kind of be rebuilt and you know there's no connection to that lineage of like what these people really looked like so apparently a lot of the artisans you know just modeled them off of their friends and and people that they knew or at least in some instances and i i don't know i thought that's interesting just to kind of think about that that um loss of history or like even in a, in a sense like too like the way that there's an un- intangibility with our work that after a certain point it it almost doesn't belong to us like it's just going to be out of our reach, you know. Yeah. Which is really interesting, even to kind of go back to this. Then addressing, I mean, it's, there's an absurdity about the materiality of making something, and then making it all about materiality too, when it's also like something that's fleeting, you know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's super interesting to think about, um, and I think also like even in, in terms of that that kind of impermanence. Um, I don't know. I, I could see that, like, even in, in relationship to, you know, a lot of the work that I think about, um, even even older work, because there's like a, this sense of uh, urgency with the marks. But then it's also, again, just I don't know. I, I'm I'm probably not articulating it well enough. Um, <laughs> I need somebody else to make it sound better. <laughs> yeah. No, I think you're right. I mean, I yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. Well, because like even time, like uh, the idea of time, I think, especially, you know, like, and again, I'm thinking back to maybe some of those uh, paintings that you were describing earlier for me back, maybe back in like, oh, nine, mm-hmm. that in- kind of in- include a lot of home interiors um, and thinking about memory and time. And mm-hmm. um, again, yeah. I, th- I think just again, um, a lot of times painting like that uh, or kind of being in process, it seems like it kind of uh, evokes that idea too. you know, just in and of itself, yes. it's a process. Yeah, um, absolutely. And also one that doesn't hide itself, you know, like yeah. it's interesting to talk, think about, you know, somebody's working super, super representationally hiding everything versus, you know, leaving it out there to see. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Other things I was thinking about were like these, I mean, I, at the, you know, I, I can't remember the dates on this, but the destruction of Palmyra by ISIS too was, Mm-hmm. sort of a, a contemporary example of what was happening while I was thinking about making these paintings in the sense that like that, I mean, that's, I've, I've always been pretty interested in ancient uh, Mediterranean history probably is the broadest way to say it, but, mm-hmm. but thinking about these ancient cultures and I mean, that's Palmyra is a, an amazing example of antiquity, right? Like there's all these beautiful um, ruins that are still there. Um, it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Like, it, at, at most people in the world would 
agree that it should be preserved, but ISIS saw it as a cultural threat and they, and they were able to destroy it, uh, as a, as a political move and a move to show power, uh, which is just really like unfortunate to me, but, but also like, I felt like I, I don't know. I felt like there was some, I don't feel like my paintings are as valuable as Palmyra. I'm not trying to say that, but I feel like there's some sort of importance and also like frailty in making paintings and sculptures that I, that I saw when Palmyra was destroyed. You know what I mean? You think about the kind of impact that places make, especially historical places or, you know, things that you know have been around a long time. Mm-hmm. And you think about all the ways that that impacts people. And I think artists mm-hmm. essentially kind of want that same same kind of thing. You know, like yep. we are not content to just kind of sit still. We want to kind of like do something with our time. And we're yep. kind of making all these things. And I think hopefully the idea is that, you know, like it, it you know, it resonates with someone, you know, that, that, mm-hmm. um, that draw, whatever it is, you know, whether it's a particular kind of uh, painting or, you know, sculpture or video or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, and I guess I'm curious cause you know, one of the things that I always heard about, um, and again, I can say this as someone that, that does not have a family, um, especially in graduate school is that you, you can't understand someone that doesn't have a, a child. And um, while this might seem off topic, I'm, I'm kind of curious then, has that been anything that's kind of influenced uh, anything in, in regards to your work being a father? Oh yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm like, have the wherewithal to say all the ways yet contextually, but, but I think like my worldview has been, so utterly like adjusted mm-hmm. or shaken probably is the better way to say it after having a child that like, I def I definitely, definitely question the importance of almost everything now in the sense that like time that I'm in the studio is time away from family, my family. Um, and I've been fortunate, I feel like, in my career to have um, had some really great experiences and worked with some great people and and exhibition spaces. Um, and I'm and I'm fortunate to have a full time teaching job. Um, so it it made me recalibrate uh, in terms of like what my goals are, like what my long term goals are for art making. Yeah, so it's not. Um, it's not as clear cut anymore. I don't think, you know, I think it used to be that like, I want to have galleries in this place and this place. And I want to be represented by them. I want to have more shows in Europe. And now it's kind of like those things are not necessarily as important to me as they used to be. Mm-hmm. Like I need to, I need to sustain my studio practice. And that I think is my, um, my main goal, right? Like, I need to find things to do that that help me sustain my studio practice and and um, support my studio practice. But I don't I don't know that I need to have a show in Europe anymore. I mean, it would be great if it happened, but um, but like I don't know if I have that much time and energy to dedicate to the studio anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Well, it's interesting to think about it too, because again, um, just like with the new, with the year wrapping up, eventually there's like this weird uh, tradition of like, oh, it's a new year, you know, there's something yeah. new going on. But I think that yeah. sense of renewal is also also always in the studio too. So while yes. I know that <laughs> as we're talking to you like this now, I again I know it'll be maybe slightly different six months from now, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, um. I had uh, two pretty big exhibitions this year, um, and I think the letdown was greater after those two exhibitions than I've experienced in the past. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm, um, I mean, I'm feeling reflective about the year in that sense too. Like they were, I had a really great experience with both of the exhibitions, and I'm and I'm glad I did them. But now, um, I've just got a bunch of work in storage at my house. Mm-hmm. which I know everybody does, but it's like, you know, there's, there's a, there's kind of a, a depression of that, you know, after you have the exhibitions and thinking about like what the meaning of these exhibitions is. And, um, so I think, I think, I, I think you're right. I'm definitely on the reflective side of things and I'm trying to be more purposeful in the studio. Um, but also to a certain extent too, like the, the things I think I had as goals, a year ago, like before we had a kid, I don't, I don't know what they would provide for me that I don't already have in some respect. You know what I mean? So the, so me working towards like establishing a gallery relationship on the West coast, let's say mm-hmm. it would be really great to work with a gallery. Like I would never turn down that opportunity, but I, I feel like there's, it's it's not going to necessarily change how I work in the studio on a daily basis. It's probably not going to change um, how I think about my work unless it's in negative ways. And I'm I'm kind of like it would be great to make some money, but I'm I'm inherently sort of not a capitalist, so. <laughs> um, there's there's less reason for me to pursue those things I think now than there were than there was a year ago I think that it, it's it's I've seen it now a few times and I'm sure you've seen it too that like there's more good artists in the United States that could ever than could ever have like gallery representation in a major city mm-hmm. that could have museum ex you know be a part of museum collections the issues with the market are problematic in the sense that there's there's a few people controlling a lot of the wealth and power mm-hmm. um and then like you know the, this Carmen Herrera stuff is crazy in the sense that like she's having her first museum show at 101 so it's like do I want to I definitely want to be making paintings until I'm 101 <laughs> and I'd like to live to be like 120 right cuz sure <laughs> science fiction is going to prove to be reality soon that kind of sucks. I think, you know what I mean? That's not like, that's, that doesn't make me happy. I'm happy that Carmen Herrera is, has a museum show, um, and has galleries now and collectors are going to flock to her work. But, um, I don't know. There's, there's some inequity that I, that I feel that it, it it's just, um, yeah, it made, it, it makes me reflect and think about the things that I truly need 
to see myself as as successful as an artist. I was gonna say it makes sense to kind of be in that super reflective state too, just just based on what you're talking about in terms of these these two exhibitions, um, and kind of yeah. like reassessing. You know, like one of the hardest things I had was coming back from a honeymoon after, you know, again spending my spring making, you know, forty six paintings and giving away, you know, forty two. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like literally. I mean, it's it's like dumping all of your time into something and then you kind of don't know what, what you're doing afterwards and trying to pick up the pieces and and reassess what that means. Um, and in a weird way, kind of completely addresses a lot of the things that I was even bringing up in terms of, you know, essentially once you're not around, um, you lose all ability to control your work. So, I mean, it, even that was something that I was thinking about in terms of how I packaged them, you know, as someone that worked as a framer, I'm like, how do I how do I give these to people so that they can be displayed well and they're not going to be like put behind glass or something you know by like a relative um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because like again you know you think about that development and assessment of um, you know going to school and like doing these classes and what this means and what that means um, and it makes me even think about it relative to this podcast too I mean like maybe maybe that's the next phase you know I'm going to be starting to talk to a lot of uh, people starting fans families uh you know maybe it's their second or third appearance on studio break and you know they're reassessing everything and (laughs) you know and i think it's only natural you know i I think i read a statistic something like you know like um what five five galleries uh pick like a third of the museum exhibitions yes Um, so it's hard not to think about all those things and i think it's it's so a part of our, our world now, you know, that, that mentality, um, you know, straight down to what we were talking about earlier, which is education. You know, you think about that disconnect and I can't help but think that they're directly related to that, um, that way of, um, guiding the ship, if you will, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what also is so, I don't want to say depressing about it, but like even kind of related to what you're talking about too. I mean, like that's, what's so cool about art, you know, is that usually people are all coming out of the woodwork and, you know, people are having hors d'oeuvres and, you know, talking about the work and, you know, maybe having a a glass of wine even, I don't know. (laughs) Um, but that, um, that sense of community that you kind of see as a possibility and then you kind of wonder, you know, I mean, and not to, not to completely go political, but I mean, like you think about the uh, the current election uh, that we're going through in the United States, and yeah. you got to wonder. I mean, is a reality show future uh, really where it's yeah. at? You know. Yeah. So, I think I think you could do a whole podcast on that too, and like what it would mean to make art, visual art, in a world where Donald Trump is president, right? Like, oh gosh. Yeah, I mean it. I mean it's really it, it, we we need to think about this because it's not. I mean, I'm yeah. To just state what is probably obvious to everybody is that Donald Trump should not be president. But that doesn't mean that the the people who are seeing him as a viable and good candidate are going to just go away, right? Like, sure, they're they're here and have. Um, political beliefs and don't necessarily choose to participate in the political discourse that's taken place in this country up to now to a certain extent. And, and they're not, they're not uh, pro art. I don't, I don't think there's any way that they have ever sort of suggested that it's, it's okay for people to make art, mm-hmm. you know? Well, if they give it away for free for something, you know, like if they're promoting yeah, that's true. 
<laughs> or if it's a painting of Trump himself. <laughs> I keep seeing this call. Have you seen? And I'm trying to change the subject, but the call for Trump for America and all the exhibition listings. No, I haven't. Oh, I, I think I, I think I might have seen something about it, but I haven't actually like looked at like a description to see if anybody's like. I think I just read somebody that shared it and was like, "Who's applying to this?" You know? Yeah. Because <laughs> I hate to be yeah, the juror in that position. Dollars, I think. <laughs> they didn't have a juror. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'd imagine a lot of brutal, brutal Trump-related stuff. Um, and again, I don't know if we'll keep this in either, but. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I guess, I guess, again, to kind of come full circle and thinking about where you're at with your work, again, we're kind of in this mode of, you know, reassessing and, and kind of moving forward. Again, I know that you're also maybe a big fan of the uh, the season, you know, the fall, um, yes, which again, certainly yeah. kind of recollects this idea of an eventual kind of like renewal. Um, yeah, but absolutely. so so where do you go from here in terms of your work? I mean, obviously, you're, you're going to work through this and certainly... Um, You'll you'll at some point wind up having especially a lot more time to be able to to spend in the studio, but um, I don't know where 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 are you thinking about it? I guess as the year kind of like winds down and and you know maybe you're I don't know I'm already thinking about the spring in some ways. Um, I'm going to I'm still making paintings and sculptures. I'm not uh, I don't want to suggest that I've I've stopped doing that or I'm going to stop doing that. But I one of the sort of manifestations of this, of thinking about this stuff and being reflective has been, um, that I've been reading a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think I read quite a bit anyway, but for some reason I'm, I'm reading a lot and, and a lot of fiction weirdly, um, for the first time in a long time. Uh, I shouldn't say weirdly, but, uh, most of the time with school and, and, preparing for classes and, and maintaining studio practice. I've kind of put fiction reading aside a little bit in the sense that I didn't feel like I had time for it. But now I kind of feel like it's a, it's a big stress relief for me. And so I've also started writing more and thinking about like how, how narrative plays into my, my new work, not in a sense that like I'll ever, necessarily exhibit these paintings and sculptures with the narrative Mm -hmm. but it's a it's a sort of different medium and method of working for me to try to express uh some of the ideas that i'm thinking about through fiction as weird as that sounds um yeah and i don't think it's weird now now that i say that i just don't i'm very i'm not very confident about my skills as a writer so it's not uh I guess I'm just trying to clarify that I don't expect that any of this will ever be published or, you know, for general reading, but it's, but it's just a different sort of mode of thinking in the studio for me now. Do you have, do you have stuff coming up that you're working towards then or no? I've got the faculty exhibition. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So the faculty exhibition is in, uh, opens in December here at Drake and it's a mentor mentee Mm -hmm. exhibition. So, um, I chose Mike Willie as my mentor. Um, so he'll have paintings in the show. I'll have my sort of smaller, I mean, it's huge, but four foot by four foot by eight foot installation of a big painting and a big sculpture 
in the show, and then one of my students, Min's Chan, uh, will have uh, installation in the show as well. Interesting. Yeah, I think it'll be good. So all all ten of the faculty are picking at least a, a mentor or a mentee uh, to be in the exhibition. So I think there'll be a pretty interesting range of work. Um, so that's my main, uh, exhibition commitment that's coming up. Well, and, and no doubt, like a nice way to also kind of break down what's, um, what's in store in the future too, you know, like again, especially when you wrap up such big things and then you're able to move on to a show that you're probably a lot more excited about in some ways, just, I don't know, just in the the sense of it not having all that pressure, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, and yeah. obviously we can expect to see, uh, you know, a 2017 tab, you know, in the next year yes. that's going to slowly <laughs> expand. So, again, it's just yeah. it's just always impressive to see how that, that keeps happening. So, again, uh, just Thanks. very cool to see so much new work. And regardless of how you feel about it now, uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I feel confident about it. I don't want to I don't want to say that, but I but I think the I think I'm having a, a re awakening of making work for for my reasons and sort of gaining some confidence back in my ability to make work despite all of the funky stuff that we have to deal with if that makes any sense no no completely you know again it's hard to be passionate when you have responsibilities and yeah i don't yeah. mean to make it sound it's hard to be passionate but just to focus let to let that only carry you i guess is all i'm thinking you know yes yeah um, yeah so again it's just a matter of like throw another log on the fire i guess and just kind of keep keep rolling you know um, yes. yes so again I, I i totally appreciate you taking the time to to get caught up uh, again it's been far too long so uh maybe we'll have to do it a, a bit more frequently then <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah thanks for asking david i appreciate it thanks once again to ben for joining me you can check out his artwork at benjaminagardner.com so please go visit that site you can also check out a big bunch of other podcasts on studiobreak.com again we have 169 episodes up each of them have images of the artist's work as well as links to their websites and these discussions about their studio practice and research so please go and peruse You can follow us in a variety of social media formats, so please like our Facebook page and contribute there. Again, you can share posts as well as other good stuff on our timeline, so please feel free and say hello. You can send messages to David Linaway on Facebook as well. You can also follow our Tumblr account at studio-break.tumblr, and probably about the best way to send anything interesting is to our Twitter account that's at Studio Break on Twitter. So please send cool tweets, images, and all sorts of good stuff to at Studio Break. If you find these discussions helpful for your studio practice or you just like listening, I would also encourage you to visit iTunes, follow that link, and subscribe to Studio Break in iTunes so that you never miss an episode that way. You can also do us a huge favor by leaving comments and feedback there and give us a glowing review. Again, it just helps others find this podcast from around the world, so we really appreciate that, as well as all the sharers on Facebook and Twitter, etc. So please feel free to do all that and to help out. I do want to thank Skylar Mail for providing the music to Studio Break. You can check out his artwork, and his website is SkylarMail.com. If you'd like to see some of my work, please visit 
davidlinaway.com, which again should be updated, but it's been a terribly busy year, which leads me to my last thing. Again, my New Year's resolution is to really get back on podcasting. So again, there will be a lot of episodes coming up. It's just been a very hectic year making work, um, getting married and wrapping up all sorts of old things and it's going to be exciting to come into 2017 to start new things so again we hope that you enjoy listening to this podcast please say hello give me a shout out and that is our final episode for our fifth year of studio break thanks again for listening we'll talk to you real soon